Welcome back to another Yak Podcast. My name is AJ Swanson. I'm the youth director here at Christ Community Church in Frisco. Um, this week we continue our series on Behind the Mask, and we break down the mask that is put on us by the culture known as the teenager. Enjoy. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. Um, if you does anyone know where that is? You know what section that follows? It's kind of the love section, um, and Second Corinthians um, kind of breaks down. It's really interesting. It's one of my favorite areas. Huh? First Corinthians. It should be second. I apologize. That's supposed to be second. It's Second Corinthians. Um, so this is just one of my favorite verses. The verse that follows it, and I hope you, this is one of the reasons. Um, this, these were one of my favorite verses. The verse that follows that I didn't put up there says this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So as you can imagine, I t- mentioned to you earlier, when I was 18, I'm looking in the mirror, and I didn't know who I was because I'd been hidden behind so many masks. And this verse that I read um, soon after this kind of experience began to shine a light on what masks I was wearing and who I really am. Again, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I gave up my childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He's talking about our relationship. We will see the Holy One. But right now, we don't see Him fully. We see it's like a mirror and it's like fogged over. Who is that? Uh, but then, in the future, we'll see Him face to face. Now I know in part, I know Him in fault, in part. Then I shall, know, I shall know fully. So in the future we'll know him fully. Even as I have been fully known the whole time Christ has known me. It's, it's interesting why that follows. Why does that follow? An area about a child and then an area about revealing who we really are. Um, this really hit me um, again when I was 18 and I was trying to figure this out. According to scripture, and this was kind of the aha moment, I'd been a man for five years by the time I was 18. So a man in the Jewish tradition... You have your bar mitzvah, and you're now a man. So as an 18-year-old, I'm looking in the mirror going, I've been a man, but what have I been living like? I, I panicked. What does that look like? What does a man look like? And what was I living like currently? I was just like every other high school student, but is that what I was supposed to look like? If I was honest, the vast majority of uh, my mask that I wore uh, just had me fitting in with everyone else. So are we really supposed to look like the world around us? Are we really supposed to look like the culture? And that's why this first mask we're talking about is just the myth of the teenager. Because really the, the next mask just looked like this. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. My masks that I had constructed as someone your age just reflected what everyone else in the world looked like. I came to the conclusion that when I tried to look like everyone else, that I kind of looked like an elephant. Let me explain. The elephant of India is a perfect picture of the power of the psychological captivity. 
Tamed and utilized for its enormous strength, the great beast stands nearly 10 feet tall and weighs up to 5 tons when fully grown. Its tasks may include uprooting tall-grown trees, hauling great boulders, or carrying enormous loads on its shoulders. And yet, when the day's work is done and this powerful beast must be kept from wandering off during the night, its owner simply takes a piece of twine, attaches it to a small branch embedded in the ground, and ties it around the elephant's right hind leg. Reason dictates that the elephant can easily snap the twine or pull the twig from the ground, and yet the owner does not worry, fully confident that when the morning comes, he will find the animal exactly where he left it. Why does the elephant not leave? Why does the elephant not leave? Any ideas? The smell of the owner? Okay. I know him. Stan. Maybe, um, maybe loyalty? Loyalty. I wish it was good reasons like that, right? So here's the reason. When it's a baby, it takes a huge shackle. And it puts it around the elephant's leg. To where when the elephant moves, it hurts. And it fights and fights and fights. And finally, the elephant gives up. Not going to fight anymore because the shackle that's been around my leg hurts. So what do they do? They get a smaller shackle. They put it on the elephant. The elephant doesn't know the difference. It's just a little bit smaller. So it doesn't move. And they keep shrinking the shackle. And they keep shrinking the shackle. So it's just a piece of twine. And they can wrap that around the elephant's leg. And the elephant doesn't move. And I think the fact is, you guys are in the exact same situation. You have been born into a culture that says you must do one thing. And if we're honest, the moment you have tried to rebel or do something different outside the culture, peer pressure becomes the beast of a burden that you tried to break away from and everyone called you dumb, stupid, that's uncool. What are you doing, man? We're in the exact same situation. So here's a little quiz for you. When, I was doing it again. I'm pointing up here when it's back here. Sorry, second time. Same problem. When did the word teenager come into existence? A. Tyndall's first edition of the English New Testament, 1526. Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet in 1623. <coughs> Benjamin Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac in 1739. Theodore Roosevelt's Strenuous Life Speech. In 1899, a Reader's Digest issue in 1941, I made it up for this talk. (laughs) When did the word teenager come into existence? Don't look around, because that just means you're being peer pressured by everyone else. If you think it's A, raise your hand. Think it's B, raise your hand. Think it's C, raise your hand. You think it is D, raise your hand. If you think it is E, raise your hand. You think it's F, leave. <laughs> Where's G? So, no. But it was. I mean, you guys are right. It is a Reader's Digest issue in 1941. 1941, the word teenager enters the American dictionary on what? Something that we use as bathroom reading material. 
And if we're out of toilet paper, even worse. (laughs) That's where teenager enters the culture. So what was it like before this new group was introduced to American culture? What was it like? Well, I'm going to introduce three people to you tonight. First guy's name, Jorge, George. He was born in Northern Virginia in 1753. At 11, he lost his father. He was in a middle-class family. 11 years old, he lost his father. His peers didn't consider him very bright, but he applied himself in his studies into master geometry, trigonometry, and algebra, calculus, all by the time he was 16. At 17, he got a chance to put his studies to use and landed his first job. Not your Subway or McDonald's typical teenager job. He was the official surveyor of Culpeper County, Virginia. This was hard work. For the next three years, George endured the hardships of frontier life as he measured and recorded previously unmapped territories. His measuring tools? Are they the little... You know, tripod thing, you sit in here like this, that you see on the side of the roads. No, they were logs and chains. George was a man at 17. Next one is one of my favorite, David. David was born in 1801 near the city of Knoxville, Tennessee, where his father was serving in the state militia. At 10 years old, David began his career at sea, serving as a naval cadet on the warship Essex. At 11, he saw his first battle. At 12, he was given command of a ship that had been captured at battle. At 12. <laughs> what have you guys done? Anything? Anything? Okay. I got all A's in elementary school. You got all A's in elementary school? Your mom put a sticker on the back of your car that says, I have an honor student. Awesome. <laughs> Last one is Clara. She's one of my favorite people in history. Clara was born Oxford, Massachusetts, 1821. She was the baby of the family. Any babies in here? Any babies of the family? Couple? Hey! She was the baby of the family. With 10 years separating her from her next youngest, she was a timid child, so terrified of strangers that she was hardly able to speak. And something happened that would change her life. Older brother David fell from a roof of a barn. Not the same David. Older brother David fell from the roof of a barn and was seriously injured. And young Clara was frantic and begged to help care for him. Once in the sick room, Clara surprised everyone by demonstrating all the qualities of an experienced nurse. She learned better than anyone how to make her brother comfortable. Little by little, the doctor allowed her to take over all the care, with his complete recovery lasting two years. By 14, Clara became the nurse of her father's hired men, who had come down with smallpox and then more patients as the epidemic spread through the village where she lived. Still shy and timid, her desire to serve others drove her to overcome her fears. By seven by 17. Anyone 17 or older here? 17 or older. Couple. By 17, she was a successful school teacher with over 40 students. Some nearly as old as she. Okay, calm down. Don't spoil it. All three of these people were giving increasing levels of responsibility at early ages. And they not only survived, they rose to the occasion. At the time in which they lived, young men and women like them were not all that unusual. The question becomes, what changed? What changed? 
The answer is this. People today view the teen years through the modern lens of adolescence. The problem, the modern understanding of adolescence allows, encourages, and even trains young people to remain childish for much longer than necessary. It shapes a mask of a teenager that encourages lack of growth, caring, and responsibility. And if I'm being honest, this holds you back from what you could do, from what God made us to do. Remember, you are a child of God, you are an heir of God, you are either a son, you are either soon to be a man or a woman of God, or a man or woman of God. But by your culture, by the world around you, simply because of your age, potentially the numbers of pimples on your faces, and the fact that some of you have not grown any facial hair yet, or God forbid are trying, I didn't look at you. You look phenomenal. Your hair looks great. Hey, hey, this is what I'm saying. Your culture, if we're honest, if we're honest, expects you to be rude, obnoxious, self-centered, uncultured, uneducated person between the ages of 13 and 19. And the fact is when I originally wrote this talk at the age of 23, it's probably expanded from the ages of 13 to 24 at this point. I mean, the fact is, if you are 22 and not living in your mom's basement, you're almost weird. You're almost weird. I mean, those of you that are in public school, you see this epidemic up close and personal. Dude, I I just don't want to help me cheat on this test. That's a perfect example of it. I don't want to know the stuff. I don't want to put in the effort. Everyone expects me to cheat anyways, so I'm just going to do it. That's the expectation. It kills me. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the culture. You are expected as a teenager to amount to nothing over the course of this part of your life. Don't believe me? Look at your TV sitcoms. Look at the movies. Listen to the conversations that happen at school. This is what you're expected to do. Expectations, especially when delivered to a mass audience, drive a mass audience. And don't under... I keep saying the word expectations because this clearly drives everybody. Expectations are one of the things that as you go into a place will dictate culture. Don't believe me? This is a study on expectations that was done. Class A and Class B, this is in California because they do crazy stuff like this. California, they split the class equally. And they split the class not only equally in the number, but intellectually. The only difference is they tell the teacher of Class A that your kids are smart and they tell the teacher of Class B that your kids are dumb. They said, look, You have the smart class. Your kids are going to succeed. This is going to be the best year of you teaching. And they went up to teacher B and they said, you got a bunch of idiots. This is going to be a hard year. You're going to struggle. You're going to have to constantly reinforce things. Within three weeks, that's the difference. The expectation over a three-week period set the trajectory for the rest of the school year. But does that make sense? Expectations drive cultures. And because of it, we have masks that are put on us that sometimes we don't even know are there. Because it's simply the expectation.
expectation. This means that the things we are expected not to understand, or you guys are expected not to understand, politics, finances, our faith, or the ability to carry on a conversation with adults, we probably don't understand, maybe not for your lack of interest, but for lack of anyone's expectation of you knowing it. You might not have ever expected, you might have never expected it of yourself even, these things about knowing politics, finances, your faith, or the ability to carry on a conversation with adults. My question is why? Why have you never expected those things of yourself? And if you haven't, it's time to break the twine that's around your angles. Thoughts for Young Men, author J.C. Ryle, wrote this, Youth is the seed time for full age, the molding season in the little space of human life, the turning point in the history of a man's Mind. It's one of the reasons I work with you. Decisions you make now. Even when everyone else doesn't believe it. Will affect the rest of your life. In other words, what each of us will become later in life largely depends on what we become now. What you become today. Do you take that seriously? In 1 Corinthians, this really is 1 Corinthians 9, 24, and 25, the Apostle Paul writes this. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last. Run the race. Run it today. Don't say, well, life really starts with me after I get my college degree at 22. So what happened to our friends Jorge, David, and Clara? Clara, yes. one of my favorite people. Barton. I knew that. Clara, her full name is Clara Barton, founder of the Red Cross. Her efforts would help thousands of men and women in the Civil War and millions more, literally. Guess who's headed to Nepal today to help? <coughs> Red Cross. There was a huge earthquake there that thousands of people lost their lives in. If you've had your head under the bush for the last couple of days. Second guy, one of my favorite. David, U.S. Navy's first admiral. David Farragut, first admiral and hero during the Civil War. He was prepared for the job from the moment he stepped on the Essex at age 10. George Washington. Yes. For George, he had a little longer of a journey. After three years of a surveyor in Virginia, the governor appointed George to the state militia as a major, a high rank. Then came the word that the French were entering the Ohio Territory. No, 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 Frenchies. And George was ordered to lead a midwinter expedition over hundreds of miles to assess their strengths and to warn them to leave, which he successfully did. By 22, he had been promoted to lieutenant colonel. By 23, he was commander-in-chief of the entire Virginia militia. Puts my life goals to shame. He would later be the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War and the first president of the United States. His name? George Washington. <laughs> I can. His name is? Why are we all suddenly Muppets? George Washington. 
It didn't just happen back then, though. Young men and women have begun to break the chains of low expectations in your generation. Here are four. First one is a guy named Zach Hunter. He's much older than when I originally wrote this talk. He launched Loose Change for Loose and Change, LC2LC, which is a program that fights modern-day slavery. For there are more slaves in the world today than there were during the transatlantic slave period. The numbers are estimated at 27 million slaves in the world today, half of which are children. Starting at age 12, and he continues today into his 20s. He's written at least two books and raised millions of dollars to end human trafficking. Chris Brown, while it's not uncommon for young people to run for public office, they aren't often elected particularly in cities larger than several thousand residents. Someone forgot to tell this to 19-year-old Chris Brown. He was elected back then with an 84% of the vote to the city council of Bedford, Texas. It's actually pretty close by. Population 48,000. Leslie and Laura Lauren Revelry, 14 and 11 when started, launched Hope to Others, H2O, which has provided hundreds of bags of essentials to Portland's homeless. Brantley Gunn, an ADD freshman when he started. Hey, all ADD freshmen in the house? Yeah, okay. An ADD freshman when he started has launched SAIF, S-A-I-F, Students Aiding Indigenous Families. They purchase abandoned homes in Jackson slums, then recruits teams of students to repair and remodel them into like new conditions. When the house is ready for sale, Brantley helps arrange bank financing for the new owner, usually a poor single mother. This is what he's quoted as saying. Needless to say, getting such a serious operation started wasn't easy. He spent hours researching how to set up a charity and met with other nonprofits, community service groups, and real estate investors. Three years since launching SAFE has attracted more than 200 students to the cause and generated over $100,000 in annual revenue. How did, it, how did they do this? And let me say this. It begins with realizing that just because you're defined as one thing, and expected to follow that definition does not mean that you have to. It does not mean that you have to. This is an example of one mask that has been put on you by the culture we live in. But if we truly want to be countercultural, if you want to make an impact for the culture or for Christ, you need to first be aware of the masks. The first mask put on you is that of the teenager. Next week we're going to cover the commodity. And I hope that you begin to take this mask off, break free of the twine. Thanks for listening to this Yak podcast. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.org. Tune in next week.